0: Yeah. So. Yeah. That's Is it stupid that I'm recording right now, or is this a? Okay. That's me on Mount Hood this past June, caught in a snowstorm that had people calling it January. This is part two of that story. So, if you haven't listened to part one, all of this will make a lot more sense if you go back and do that. In the last episode, you heard about the weather forecast. Winds could gust as high as fifty-five miles per hour. You know, basically you're crawling. Our indecision making. Right. And climbing school. The easiest way to ascend a big snowy mountain. Coming up in this episode, you'll hear about our bid for the summit, as well as a special deal for your own summit for someone climb. I'm Ben Shank, you're listening to the podcast that explores the minds of those who explore. This is Mountain Meister. Mountain Meister is supported by Steo out of Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Right now I'm wearing the Hometown Down hooded jacket. It's an 800 fill goose down jacket with responsibly sourced down, by the way. It's got a clean look with some distinct features like contrasting color in the zipper tape or one of my favorites, a hidden pocket inside of the jacket that doubles as a stuff sack. Perfect for packing, also as a backcountry pillow. As for why I'm wearing an 800 fill down jacket inside, well, roommate Max and I have decided to go until Thanksgiving without using heat in our apartment. So far, so good with the hometown down jacket. Go to Stio, S-T-I-O.com. Check out all of the other great reviews on this product and the other ones, and when you're ready, off, an exclusive 20% off with the code MEISTER at checkout, steo.com.
1: And sitting there not having any idea at this point of where we were going and where we were launching from, and the fact we still couldn't see anything outside the cab based on, you know, the snow and the ice buildup, it was disconcerting.
0: That's Rob. He and his son Jasper were my Summit for Someone partners on this climb. We left off last episode when we were about to exit the snowcat into the blizzard on Mount Hood. At this point, and while we're ascending the mountain, I start to feel a little confused. Actually, very confused. Why are we doing this? In all the steps before this, it was kind of just going through the motions, but at this point, it's all hitting me that it's actually happening. We are choosing to exit a snowcat in the middle of 50 mile an hour winds in a snowstorm getting dropped off, and that snowcat is then leaving us there for us to figure it out on our own.
1: I think in addition to what you described, the fact that there was some confusion on the driver's side on where we were going, we're wondering where the why we were turning around and going in different directions, definitely gave me a little pause.
0: That's right. We weren't the only ones that were lost. The snowcat driver was too. He's doing 180s on the mountain. We can't see anything because it's pitch black outside and the windows are covered in ice anyway.
2: And then you realize that, you know, in, in just a short while, you'd be stepping outside and going out into somewhere completely unknown to to you and everyone else other than the guides, I guess. And you had to trust them that they knew they were going even though the cat driver didn't know where he was going. I don't know. It was definitely, it, it, uh, it became more real than... Than I had imagined.
0: <sighs> Real indeed. We open up the door of the snowcat and step outside. It's chaos. Everything that should be simple has all of a sudden become difficult, like communication. Phil is telling us something, but the wind is so loud that you can barely hear yourself. We end up screaming at each other like we're having an argument. But in reality, Phil just wants to tell us, hey, put on some crampons now and let's go over by this wall to try to shield us from the wind. It was like the conditions were eliminating all of our sensations. First, hearing. Gone. Next, seeing.
1: I think that's part of what you really can't explain. And I think that's what I, one of the things I wasn't mentally prepared for was just the dark. And, you know, we trained, you know, it seems oh, walk this way, go this way, tie that knot, pick that up. Um, I guess I just hadn't really thought much about that. We'll be doing this in the dark, which I think would have been more surmountable if it weren't snowing sideways. Um, So I think the, the, between be- being dark and then really snowing hard to the point where it was you know difficult to hear i think those things really i wish i'd sort of i think i would have been better off if i'd prepared a little more for that concept of mm-hmm. really being out there in the dark and you know the fact that it's hard to hear and hard to see and you know but like i i guess when i when i heard a few weeks
2: before that we were going to be starting at midnight or whatever and that's what everyone does i was kind of picturing like Walking through, and the moon's out, and you can kind of see everyone, and and it's nice, and and I guess maybe that would have been the case if it was if the weather was perfect, but I mean there was no, you could see the person in front of you and the person behind you if you turned around, but that was that was really it. Yeah. I mean, a headlamp lights was uh, was all we got.
0: On top of all of this, I was trying to record some audio for this episode. I have a little handheld recording device that's about the size of a deck of cards and if the thing gets too wet or too frozen or I drop it and it slides all the way down the mountain, I lose everything. The same thing could also happen to my hand because I have to take it out of a glove to press the buttons on this device. I don't want to be the guy to ruin everything just because I'm trying to record a podcast episode. Nobody likes that guy. Is it stupid that I'm recording right now, or is this a... Okay. Phil reassures me that it's okay, and we keep proceeding up the mountain. The wind gets stronger, it's harder to hear, harder to stand. Fortunately, it isn't so cold that we lose the sense of touch. Visibility was getting worse, too. Rob said that his goggles were starting to fog.
1: It got to the point where when we started the hike, you know, a couple minutes into it, or half an hour into it, it got to the point where literally I was just fixated, and the only thing I could really see were Jasper's boots in front of me. And I wasn't worried about getting lost, but I was worried about just staying you know, close enough that I could keep his boots <laughs> in my range. And that was really uh, disconcerting. I couldn't look up and see anything. And, I was, you know, looking back is just a difficult motion anyway, mm-hmm. you know, walking in a, in, a, in a zigzagging uphill, you know, pattern. And so when we when we cross and, you know, maybe I could see one or two people at best after we, you know, switch back. But that and so I started to get a little cla- and I'm not claustrophobic at all. But I started to get a little claustrophobic, and I said, I don't know if I can do this for four hours. I'm pretty patient and pretty mellow, but if if this is what I'm going to experience for the next four hours, it's going to be a long, really long four hours for
0: me. The same thing was happening to me, except it turns out that it wasn't fog. It was actually a sheet of ice on my goggles. I remember one time as a kid, I skied through a snowmaker, and the little drops of water that are supposed to freeze and turn into snow did that on my clothing, so I had a big sheet of ice on my goggles and couldn't see anything. That's what this was like, like being in a snowblower for hours. So we've been going for about an hour, it seems. My pole has just frozen to me. Okay, we're good. I'm not sure if you can hear anything that I'm saying. Uh, we're about an hour up. We've done probably like 20 switchbacks, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, we put crampons on right away. Gear, everything has been holding up really well, which is uh, really nice. I'm warm everywhere. I even have my warm gloves off, just my liners underneath, and my hands are staying pretty warm. If it was, if it was colder, this would be brutal, uh, but the wind is really picking up, so I'm guessing we're... Not going to proceed up too much farther. We'll make a team decision. Um, that's fine with me.
2: Well, usually, when I'm hiking or whatever, you, know, you can kind of feel like free and, and untethered and and social, and you can talk to the people around you. And it's and this was just not that way at all. I mean, you were you were putting one foot in front of the other every you know second or two, and then every once in a while you would turn around and go the other direction. And that was just kind of it. And you know, occasionally there was a rock or whatever on the side where we were walking. But other than that, it was pretty monotonous and just kind of routine. And unlike anything I've done before, it was just more of a
1: march, I guess. And, and we had no idea where we were going. No.
0: What do you think of the conditions so far? I think it's a bit too windy. Uh-huh, it's very windy. Yeah. It actually it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be at the bottom, but now it's really starting to pick up. Coming up, our decision to turn around.
1: He sort of said at this point, I really can't guarantee your safety. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and that was enough for both of us.
0: <laughs> Mountain Meister is supported by Bulls Bikes. Bulls is a well-established German brand, and they have brought their impeccable designs and technologies to the U.S., which are only for sale through BullsBikesUSA.com. I had the chance to sit down with Barney Franco from Bulls to talk about the brand's story.
3: Their global headquarters is in Cologne, Germany, so all the design, engineering, research, and development, everything's taken care of over there. So what we do here in the U.S. is before we ship the bike out to you is we calibrate the bicycle. Uh, so the bicycle will arrive to you 99% assembled. Uh, so what this means is that the gears, the brakes, uh, you know, if there's suspension on there, everything will be calibrated and adjusted. So once you receive the bicycle, you just got to simply do minor tweaks and, you know, we'll include the tools and all that as well.
0: You said on the website, it takes no more than 20 minutes to assemble. It took roommate Max and me 13 minutes from box to ready to ride. That's awesome. Yeah. Are, are you guys tech savvy? You guys got a little background. Max or? Max is much more than me. <laughs> okay, nice. But even yeah, I didn't need roommate Max. The the instructions were very very clear.
3: Yeah, we we try to include everything you know tools and you know as much instructions and we we got a YouTube page where you can go online and. You know, if you're having trouble, we're very easy to contact. So another great thing you know, about being direct-to-consumer is that we're so easy to reach. Yeah. Uh, so whenever you have a problem, you can definitely just give us a ring, send us an email, uh, and we're very fast to respond.
0: Absolutely. And another advantage uh, is the cost savings because you don't have the markup from the retailer. Do you have yeah. uh, an estimate of how much... Cost you, or how much of a price you're saving the consumer. So my Nighthawk two uh, is listed on the website as twenty four hundred dollars right now at twenty one hundred dollars. How much would that cost through the retailer?
3: So you know, comparing to to another you know reputable company, average savings on our bikes are approximately thirty percent. You can get something similar because the, the Nighthawk 2, for example, you know, it's a full Tegra drivetrain. It's a full carbon frame, you know, fully set up. You got the Mavic wheels, you know, a lot of technology and stuff like that. In a shop, you know, that would run you about, you know, anywhere from 3500 to 4000
0: You can listen to my full interview with Barney at our website, mtnmeister.com. Just search Bulls. Check out Bulls' full line at BullsBikesUSA.com, and if you want to make a purchase, Bullseye 5 at checkout for 5% off. That's Bullseye, the number 5. It is 6.30 in the morning, and we have returned from our climb. As you can imagine, we did not make our summit. Eventually, winds got to about 50 to 60 miles an hour, and we decided that it was not Wise to move on, especially with our skill level, so uh everybody not only our group but also we were with one other uh guide and client, and everybody turned around at that point. Um, a couple of people turned around a little earlier than us uh and then we headed down, and as we headed down, it got uh a little less steep and a little warmer until we finally made it back to the lodge. All in all, I can't really say I'm too disappointed. We knew that this was going to be pretty brutal going into it. And, uh, yeah, it was was, uh, a good experience. We did our best, which is important. We didn't make the summit, but we are alive. That was me back at the hotel room after an adrenaline-filled night. The decision to turn around seemed like an obvious one, but perhaps a more important question... Then if is when do you turn around? We probably could have ascended for at least another 10 minutes, maybe even a half hour or an hour, or maybe we could have achieved an impossible summit. Or maybe we went too long and we got lucky out there. There isn't an exact answer for this. It varies depending on the risk tolerance of whoever you're asking. For us rookie mountaineers, we left it up to the guide. Yeah. I like something that our guide uh, Phil said. I, fr- I forget when exactly he said it, but it was something like we need to take action uh, before like the action's actually needed. So, so he was referring to putting on crampons or extra layers or other kinds of gear like roping in. Make sure you rope in before you actually have to rope in. Um, and I also think that that can refer to turning around on the mountain turn around, go back down before it's actually like too dangerous and you need to turn around.
1: Well, and and my recollection was, and he may not have said it exactly like this, but Jasper, I like to think of it like this. He sort of said, At this point, I really can't guarantee your safety, (laughs) (laughs) and that was enough for both of us. (laughs) Well. That changes things.
2: (laughs) He was like, well, now I'd have to put you on a short rope. And I'm not sure that because I'm insecure about my own footing, I cannot be comfortable with your (laughs) like being responsible for you guys as well. At that point, I was like, "Okay, maybe it's time to to call it quits here. Uh,
0: Jasper, you had a good way of describing uh, you, you said equal parts disappointment and relief when it was time to turn around.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think we are all prepared. It wasn't like the weather came rolling in and, and caught us off guard. I mean, we, we knew what we were getting into, and we knew that our, our climb would probably not result in a summit. And we saw the guys before us, you know, leave because, you know, they, they wanted the summit. They wanted to check that off their their list, and they wanted that experience of standing on top.
0: When I tell people about what happened to us, almost everyone has said something like, oh, I'm so sorry about the weather or that you didn't achieve a summit, but that doesn't match the way I feel. I wouldn't have changed a thing. I have never been in conditions like that before. The feeling of doing something so foreign, stepping out into the darkness, waking up at 11 p.m. to spend your entire night in awful weather... That is rare. That is a special experience, and it's something that I was able to share with other people. Rob and Jasper feel the same way.
1: It was an experience that we weren't going to get if it was a beautiful night. We would have had a very different experience. But it, it was it was a it was a once uh, I don't want to say once in a lifetime, but it was. It was a it was a unique uh, out of the out of our comfort zone experience. Yep. And, it, and when he described our experience, what it would be on the summit if we had made it to the summit. <laughs> when he described crawling to the summit and not being able to see anything, I feel like we could have been at the summit. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard to describe,
2: I guess, just because it was it was so surreal and it just didn't feel it didn't feel like it was happening until we you know, got down and could take our gear off and, and get, you know, inside again. And
1: then you realize like, wow, that, that happened and that was, that was pretty special. And I felt like we accomplished something, even though it wasn't the summit of the mountain.
0: That's because climbing the mountain is a secondary goal in a summit for someone climb. The first, raise money for big city mountaineers. On this climb, we were put into an extreme environment where a lot was out of our control. But we chose to be exposed to that. The people who the climb benefits don't get to choose when chaos is thrown into their lives. 50% of BCM's youth comes from a single parent or guardian-led household. 83% are living below the poverty line. And 10% have experienced homelessness. By raising money for this organization, we fund the 1 to 1 ratio of adult mentors to youth. We promote better communication, teamwork, and decision making, all things that BCM youth learns on their expeditions. When the time comes or when the weather clears, they can achieve their own metaphorical summit.
2: So because I am a young person and I know that there are other young people who are, you know, not even close to as well off as I am, When you can offer something um, to those people and offer it from a standpoint that they understand, that's really meaningful.
4: I realize that a lot of athletic events um, and efforts aren't set up to embrace young kids.
0: That's Nini Meyer. She's the founder of Positive Tracks and Jasper's Mom.
4: Um, You know, there there are tons of adults out there using sport and using that platform as a a way to give back, but not so much out there set up um, for young people.
0: Since Summit for Someone aligns with Positive Tracks' mission to get more kids moving and raising money, they will match the fundraising for anybody under 23 years old.
4: A huge part of Positive Tracks isn't just teaching youth civic activism, but it's also getting kids Actually, active.
0: If you or your kids are under twenty-three years old, take advantage of this. According to Nini, it's likely that you'll be pretty good at this whole fundraising thing, too.
4: You know, when you look at the the marketing studies for this generation, number one, for the first time ever, kids are exposed to need. Um, the problems are right there in front of them, right in their face, and um, so in the first place, they're exposed to much more than any other generation has been exposed to. Um, and so there's that. And then secondly, um, you know, the internet really has empowered them to actually do something about it. They can proactively, uh, you know, put their voice out there and actually build mechanisms where they can make a difference, whether it's, um, you know, a, a funding website um or whether it's you know starting a, a Facebook event that is strictly um you know an anti-bullying campaign. Um that mechanism has never existed.
0: So both of my Summit for Someone climbs have had a parent and child on them, uh Jasper and Rob this hood trip and then last year on Mount Langley there was a mother daughter and a father daughter. And it was just so neat to see uh, that that relationship and how it plays out during the climb. And I'm just thinking for our listeners, how could we we have both under 23 uh, listeners on the podcast, and then also adults with kids that are uh, tw- under 23 years old. And I think it would be a great idea down the road to get more parent-child combos.
4: Yeah, that that's a great point, Ben. I think we hear from we hear from tons of parents who come back at us with a thank you to say, you know, you've You've really supplied me with an opportunity to connect with my kid, um, you know, and and it's active. It it's it's it, um, it, it takes some of the awkwardness out of philanthropy because it's hard to ask people for money, but awkwardness out of even connecting with you know teens and and sort of bridging that gap when you're out there in the mountains. Um, life's pretty uncomplicated and. Um, you know, it's cool to be mobilizing with someone, uh, for the sake of a cause. That's just a neat feeling. And, and, you know, it inspires leadership and and team building very organically. So nothing is forced.
0: Now you just need to drag Jasper out on an ultra marathon with you.
4: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, baby.
0: Okay. So what's next for you? The 2017 summit for someone climbs are now live hood, Whitney, Grand Teton, Mount Shasta, Everest Base Camp, Kilimanjaro, and many more. You can also do your own custom climb. The first two people to officially book their climbs through this podcast win a Big Agnes sleeping bag, a Big Agnes sleeping pad, and a $100 donation from Mountain Meister toward your fundraising campaign. If this interests you, send me an email, ben at mtnmeister.com. Also, my wheels were turning. I have another idea. What if we could put together our own climb with you, me, and a mountain meister as our guide? Before I work on this, I need to know if you're interested. Send me an email, ben at mtnmeister.com. I'll add you to the list and let you know how things go pictures of me covered in ice at our website mountainmeister.com also links and resources to anything that we mentioned on today's show that'll be there too thanks to our sponsor for this episode Steo for their support Steo Apparel is stuff you can live in whether it's an epic adventure up Mount Hood or a quieter moment in mountain life it's tough to find any discounts on this stuff but through the podcast you can get 20% off anything Use the code MEISTER at checkout at stiostio.com. Thanks also to the American Alpine Club. If you get in a bind, they have you covered with $10,000 in rescue coverage. AmericanAlpineClub.org. Use the code MEISTER for a special AAC gift. As usual, I hope you enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do while you listen to this podcast. Till next time, I'm your host, Ben Shank.